it's the whole justice and righteousness that, that we want to rain down. Jesus is saying, when he's arrived, that that has become a reality. It may not be a complete and total reality, but it is already breaking in because Jesus is present. And now let's go back and remember, if we are being authentic and we are images of Jesus and we are to be Jesus in this world, that means wherever we walk, we are to bring the kingdom of heaven with us. I don't leave my house without my keys, my wallet, and my phone and the kingdom. It goes with me. And if you are authentically a Christ follower, it goes with you too. And just to be sure, because it's easy to proof text something and say, okay, let's take this verse so that we, know, so that we can make it say whatever we want. Just to be sure that there's no ambiguity, the Bible makes it clear because Matthew says the same thing in chapter 11. So here's the setup for Matthew 11. John the Baptist, the one who proclaimed Jesus is coming, he baptized him. He said, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. The one who, when he proclaimed it, some of his disciples followed Jesus. This is John the Baptist, and he's now in prison. Can you imagine? You're in prison because you're telling people that the kingdom of God is different than the Roman Empire. And folks, people in power don't like to hear about alternative paths. And so John is in prison. And I'm guessing that John's having this moment of weakness or moment of uncertainty, and he's kind of wondering, like, okay, I'm in prison. Did, did I get this wrong? Because this doesn't feel right. I'm proclaiming the kingdom, and I get thrown in jail for it. I'm proclaiming the kingdom, and people hate me. Did I miss something? I was so sure that Jesus was the Messiah, and here I am in a Roman prison just because I told people about the kingdom of God. And so John sends some of his disciples, and he sends them and says, ask them this. Are you the one that we've been waiting for, or should we look for another? This is John the Baptist sending his disciples, like, are you the real thing? Are you truly, authentically the Messiah? I don't think I'm wrong, but in my situation, I do have questions. And in Matthew 11, Jesus tells John's disciples, go back and tell John this, and I'll let him decide for himself. Jesus told them, go back and tell John. Go back to John and tell him what you've heard and what you've seen, that the blind see, that the lame walk, that those with leprosy are cured, that the deaf hear, that the dead are raised to life, that the good news is being preached to the poor. And then he added, God blesses those who don't fall away because of me. So, Twice, Jesus has made it clear that the kingdom of God looks very different from the kingdoms of this world, right? And so if we're going to pray that God's kingdom comes, what does that look like? Because it doesn't look like what, it, what we think it looks like, right? I mean, this doesn't sound like health, wealth, and prosperity to me. This doesn't sound like 
I'm going to retire with my 401k maxed out and live a cush retirement with my wife in the Bahamas. Not that those are wrong, but those aren't the aim. This looks completely different. This looks more like service, like servant leadership. This looks more like sacrifice than it looks like pie-in-the-sky fun. So if we really want to understand what's the kingdom of God talking about, well, what does it look like? It looks like liberation. It looks like liberation to maybe people that you don't think deserve liberation. It looks like healing. It looks like new life. The kingdom of God looks like the Beatitudes, where the poor and the mourners are healed, where the peacemakers and the pure in heart find God. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. Does any of this sound like something that you might need today? Because honestly, one of our biggest problems in America is that we don't need anything. Or at least we think we don't. We've got the jobs, we've got the cars, we've got the money to spend on movies and clothing. We've got full refrigerators and the freedom to say what we want and do what we want and go where we want. And if we really want something and we don't have the money right then, we just slap down the plastic and put it on the card because we won't be denied It is sometimes difficult for us to see our total depravity when we feel like we have everything at our fingertips. So when I say that the poor are imprisoned, or I talk about the poor or the imprisoned, the majority of us don't feel like, well, that's not referring to me. There must be a different gospel for me because I, I don't live like that. Maybe it's more than physical that Jesus is talking about. I mean, the first beatitude is the poor in spirit. That's not a physical poor. That's not a financial situation. Maybe Jesus is talking about more than just finances and freedom when he's talking about God's kingdom. Maybe Jesus is talking about lordship. Who's going to be lord of your life? It's not a question of who's going to bless my life. It's who's going to be lord of my life. And when we talk about Jesus being Lord of our lives, there are many of us who are still spiritually poor. There are many of us who are still imprisoned to sins in our lives or to shame. And Jesus longs to establish God's kingdom of justice and peace in our lives, but it'll cost you something. I don't want to do a bait and switch. I want you to have the kingdom of God in your life, but it'll cost you something. No, that's not actually true. That's bait and switch. It will cost you everything. That's the truth. That's why Jesus refers to it as the treasure that when someone finds it, they sell everything they have to attain it because they understand that if they get that one thing, nothing else matters. That's the kingdom of God kingdom of God will turn your life upside down because that's what the kingdom of God does because the way we live maybe I should put it a different way because let's be honest 
before we know Christ, our lives are kind of upside down. Maybe Jesus turns us back to the way we're supposed to be and makes us more right side up. So for the sake of it, Jesus will turn your life upside down. And let me illustrate this real quickly with a story that I heard from Barbara Brown Taylor. Some of you may know her. She's an author. She's a writer. She's a speaker. She's, I think, an Episcopal or Anglican uh, preacher. Um, She tells the story of watching a loggerhead turtle make her way to the beach to lay eggs. And the next day, she noticed that the tracks in the sand weren't going back to the ocean. Instead, they were going to the dunes. And so she followed the tracks, and she found this turtle, exhausted, half-baked. So she went and she found a park ranger with a Jeep, and he came as fast as he could. And she talks about this park ranger's attempt to rescue this turtle. And this is what she says. As I watched in horror, he flipped her over on her back, wrapped the tire chains around her front leg, and hooked the chains into the trailer hitch of his Jeep. And then he took off, yanking her body forward so fast that her mouth was filled with sand and then disappeared underneath her as her neck went so far back I feared it would break. And the ranger hauled her over the dunes and down to the beach, and I followed the path that the prow of her shell cut in the sand. And at the ocean's edge, he unhooked her and turned her right side up again. She lay motionless in the surf as the water lapped at her body, washing the sand from her eyes and making her skin start to shine again. Then a particularly large wave broke over her and she lifted her head slightly and moving the back of her legs as she did. And as I watched, she revived. And every fresh wave brought her back to life until one of them made her light enough to find a foothold and push off back into the water that was her home. Watching her swim slow away and remembering her nightmare ride through the dunes, I noted that it is sometimes hard to tell whether you are being killed or saved by the hand that turns your life upside down. Do we really want to pray your kingdom come? Do we really want to pray the Lord's Prayer in general, but especially this part? For God's kingdom to come, it may very well mean that our lives are turned upside down, and we may spend a good amount of time wondering if we'll survive at all. To pray this prayer means that our lives are completely yielded to God. Again, we don't get this partial citizen type of thing in the kingdom of God. It's not like we can have a passport into God's kingdom and live in our own kingdom. It's all or it's nothing. But as we live in the kingdom of God and and we allow God to turn our lives upside down and make us more, here's the fancy word, holy, which, let's break it down because a lot of times you hear the word holy. It's like, what does that even mean? It means that I begin to look more and more like Jesus. That's what it means for us to be holy 
the effect of this kind of surrender to the kingdom of God will bring transformation. You think you like how you are? Just wait until God turns your life upside down and let God transform you into something amazing that you never thought was possible and that could only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit alive and at work within you. Transformation that way, transformation in the kingdom of God is something worth giving everything away for. But it's got to be total surrender. It, it, it can't be like this. Okay, let's say I moved to France, okay? I became a French citizen. And the longer I'm there, the more French I would be, right? I mean, I'd start talking like the French. I'd start acting like the French. I'd get a cool accent like the French. Right, Juju? Well, that was a bad accent. Yeah, she's, yeah. The longer I was in France, the more I'd get into the rhythm of what France is like. It is similar in the kingdom of God. The more I live in this kingdom, the more I let Christ reign and rule and transform me, the more I surrender, the more I begin to talk and act and think like the kingdom. The more I begin to move with God's kingdom rhythms in mind. That's what happens when we surrender. So let, let's let's bring it back around. Remember, I said there were two things. It means that we're in enemy territory and it means that we have to surrender. OK. Here's the good news. When we surrender. Victory is found. Yes, we're in enemy territory. But the fact that God's kingdom is breaking in even now into our lives proves that evil doesn't win. When you live in God's kingdom, you are living proof that evil doesn't win. Death isn't the final word. For kingdom people, resurrection always follows death. Pain and sorrow may last for the night. But you know, joy comes in the morning. And this should affect everything I say and everything I do and everywhere I go and everything about me should be affected by this truth. We're already living in victory because we are living in the kingdom of God and Christ is victorious. And if everything we do isn't impacted in some way, this may be a sign that all is not well with our souls. If you're listening and you say, I don't know that I've ever really sensed that or felt that. It may be a sign that there's something not right with your soul. Because the only life in Christ is kingdom life. So if you aren't living as as if the kingdom of God has come. The good news is. There's still time to pray. And I have to admit. Yesterday. I was here. I was working. And as I was preparing, I felt like I needed to pray. 
So I spent about 30 minutes here yesterday at the altar by myself confessing areas of my life where sin still has a grip on me. Lamenting over the parts of my life that I recognize don't look like the kingdom. I I know what God's kingdom is supposed to look like, and I look at some areas of my life and I say, I have a long way to go, Jesus. I spent some time asking God to forgive me. I needed the time at the altar. I didn't feel like I could stand here today in front of you without first kneeling before God in prayer. Y'all, we've made the altar, we've given it such a stigma. We've made it such a scandalous place. And we worry what people will think about us if we come down and pray. I gotta be honest with you, I'm more concerned by how few people come to pray than by how many people come to pray. Because people coming to pray is a sign that they are turning towards God and they are seeking God. So it doesn't bother me when people come to the altar. It excites me because I know that God's doing something. And y'all, this is our story. We're broken people in need of restoration. And we can be vulnerable because we understand that God is trustworthy. We can be honest because God already knows our hearts. We're not cluing him into something about our lives that God is not already aware. There's something about confessing it to God. It's like, God, I see this in me. I know you see it. Now that we both see it, let's work on fixing it. Transform me. Never let the enemy tell you that this place is scandalous. There's salvation and freedom to be found in these kneeler benches. And whether it's here or by your bed or driving down the road, confession is never the wrong thing. God is looking for honesty and contrition. God is looking for humble people that will say, I'm a mess, but you can use messes. Forgive me and make me more into your image so that as I walk around as a kingdom person, I bring your kingdom in every situation where my life is found. So that can happen anywhere, but I will be honest. Maybe it's because I've grown up in the church, but there's something really special about my posture. I can talk to God and confess while I'm driving down the road, but it's not the same as when I'm kneeling. And I find that sometimes the greatest distance between me and God is the 18 inches between my knees and the ground. And if I would just humble myself and kneel and pray a little more, there would be more salvation and grace to be found. All right, so we have four questions. Every week we're asking four questions that maybe you want to think about. I want you to think about at least one of these. Maybe you want to write these down. I've seen some people taking snapshots with their phones so that they can get them all. Four questions dealing with your kingdom come today. Number one, what should it mean for us to understand that when Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God, 
it usually was focused towards the poor and the hurting and the sick and the needy and the guilty people of the day. We like to think of it as, well, if I'm wealthier, that's a sign that God's blessing me. If I'm happier, that's a sign that God's rewarding me. And we look at things the opposite way. And yet God's kingdom is clear that when he talks about the kingdom of God, he is usually talking to and about needy people that are desperate for saving, that are desperate for a different life. And folks, that's us. You may not see it yet, but that's you and that's me. So what should it mean for us to live with that mindset? Second thing, if you are a product of your own environment, and I think most of us can agree that, yeah, we're products of our environment. Whose kingdom are you looking like? Are you looking like your kingdom or are you looking like the kingdom of God? Because our environment will will shape us. That's just the way it is. I'm a diehard Denver Bronco fan. We moved to Kansas City so Jen could go to seminary. And I learned to appreciate the Chiefs because I was around them for a few years. I was a product of my environment. Thankfully, the Lord saved me and pulled me away from there. And now I'm a diehard Bronco fan again. But when your life looks more like your neighbor who you know doesn't know Jesus, then it looks like the kingdom of heaven. You're a product of your environment. Maybe it's time to pray. Third question. What personal kingdoms in your life will have to be smashed so that God's kingdom may appear? This is this goes to what in the Wesleyan faith we would talk about sanctification. So we become saved, we give our life to Jesus, but then there is a process of sanctification through our life where the Holy Spirit reveals more to us. Hey, it's time to work on this area of your life. And we surrender. And once we surrender that, Jesus says, or the Holy Spirit says, well, now let's work on this. Let's work on your attitude. And as God helps you with your attitude, hey, let's talk about the way that you spend your time. And, and, and we believe that there's this growing in grace. Grace upon grace upon grace is how John Wesley would say it. So what in your life, you may say, I've asked Jesus into my heart. That doesn't mean there still might be something that needs to be smashed in your life so that more of God's kingdom can advance in your heart. So is there something? What is God wanting to turn upside down in you today? Because God is always working. There is no throwaway week. Well, I didn't learn anything this Sunday at church. Well, then you weren't listening because there is no throwaway week with the Holy Spirit. So what does God want to say to you today? How will you allow God to change you? Because that's what we want, right? We want transformation. Last question. What is your first next step to becoming more kingdom-centered? So whatever it is that the Spirit is talking to you about, this needs to be smashed. This needs to be destroyed in my life. And it may be something that I do instantly, 
It may be something that I do over time. But what's my first next step? And then the question is, just like the Pevensey kids facing Aslan, will you be brave enough to live into the next step that God has for you? Because I'll be honest with you, it may be scary. It may require you to surrender more than you think you can. It may require to go you, re- you to go someplace that you don't think you can go. Or to befriend someone that you would never hang out with in normal circumstances. But for some reason, are you willing to do the hard work so that God's kingdom can be fulfilled in your life? That's our prayer. That's why we can pray, our Father in heaven, God in heaven, who sees all and knows all, we hallow your name, we lift you up. And because we trust you, we can ask that you will establish your kingdom here and now and let it begin in me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth that your kingdom is coming. I think of Advent a lot at this time when we talk about this, God, because we understand that Jesus came. Jesus, we, we believe that you will come again. And yet there is this also, Jesus, you are continually with us daily. There is this not yet, this now and this then type of thing that goes with this. And so we understand that your kingdom is already coming. It may not be how it is when it's fully revealed at the final day. But that doesn't mean that the stone, the the groundwork isn't already being laid and that your kingdom isn't already advancing and taking over. So Jesus, transform us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, make us into something that we never could do on our own, and that's the image of God the Father. Your word tells us in January, in in Genesis, that you created us in your image. So Father, Son, Spirit, do your work in us so that we may become not just a better version of ourselves, but we may become fully human which is what we are when we live and move and have our being in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Every Sunday we celebrate God's kingdom coming when we come to the table. Every Sunday we remember what was done for us. Every Sunday we remember our responsibility to respond. We participate in this work of grace as we respond by saying yes to God's grace that is being lavished upon us. And so we come to the table. And so if you're visiting with us, this is not for just members. This is not for just Nazarenes. This is for anyone who is seeking to be more like Jesus. This is anyone who says, 
I don't have it all figured out yet, but I know that I want more of Christ. This is for you. It's not our table. We don't police it. It's the table of our Lord. And everyone is invited, even the one that would betray him. So we don't hold people back. I invite you to come. And here's how we do it. Just for logistics, um, we'll have you come to the center and grab the elements and then go back to your seat. And then we'll all take them together. And so um, give me one second.